The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Saturday, July 6, 2019, G1 season, baby! And you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hami Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking some WWE, AEW, Impact Wrestling, and of course, your night one preview for the G1 Climax. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, but give it up for my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the Kawhi to my LeBron, RBV, Rick Welcome back to your show. It's me. It's that order the P to the P. Rick Vickery here once again. The Hitting Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast. And Jargo, I know you are, I, I don't want to say excited, uptight, uh, in an uproar. Uh, your your world is spinning right now. I guess they change a little gears before we jump into wrestling. Little hashtag HTM Sports. You got to be feeling it right now, man. I am feeling it. I am feeling. I'm not nearly as bad as some of my Lakers friends, though, um, because like one of my Lakers buddies is like, man, when when are we gonna get our act together? None of these free agents want to come here. Eventually, something's gotta give. And it's like, dude, we got LeBron and Anthony Davis. The sky is not falling in any way, shape, or form. In fact, in a weird way. This actually creates more parity inside of the Western Conference. If, if Kawhi would have went to the Lakers, this thing would have felt like a, a foregone conclusion. This thing is over. As it is, you've got the Lakers are going to be good. You've got the Clippers are going to be good. Golden State, I still think, is the favorite to win the West. Houston is going to be good. New Orleans is going to be interesting. Dallas is going to be interesting. Portland is going to be interesting. But really, Oklahoma City, they get five freaking first-round draft picks. They get two ball players out of this. They've got the rights to two first-round pick swaps. I know they're still stuck with Russell Westbrook for a couple more years, but OKC reloaded for the future here. Well, that's what I say. You know, they prepare themselves. Another team you forgot there that was uh, so hot, maybe fell a little short in the playoff because they just weren't. Uh, didn't have that, you know, didn't have that background, didn't have that experience. Denver's going to continue to be right there as well. I mean, you we're talking a legit, you know, only eight teams get in. We're talking a legit, you know, 10 to 12 teams are going to be bidding for this. So you're going to have some very good teams that miss playoffs now. Uh, you know, on the case on the other side, you're saying, you know, it, the, the sky is falling in La La Land. At least you know we're still what the Knicks are. At least you still have, you know, two of the top five players in the league. You know, the support there. But, you know, one of the things that happened here with Leonard waiting so long to sign that contract is the Lakers just completely missed out on the rest of that free agency. You know, all everyone else getting picked up that could have been great fit players uh, around those two superstars. And now there's also the Toronto factor because Toronto's got a whole bunch of cap space now that they've got to spend. They've got to spend some money now. And if I'm a free agent that's still out there on the market, would I want to go play for the Lakers in the tumultuous West, or do I want to go East to the defending champions and play for Toronto where I at least got a shot? Well, I think, you know, they, uh, Toronto, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but they have to re-sign that big player for them, you know, who just went out yesterday and he went public and said that he believed that, you know, that Leonard was affecting his free agency. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, you know, what were they going to give him? But, you know, when you look at Toronto and where the East kind of sets up, they're not in a bad position losing a star like that because they were able to perform without him on the floor. I mean, yeah. that team is still a very good basketball team. I think it would be interesting to see what they're going to do here. I think they're going to sit on a lot of that money. And you might you might let them see how this franchise is going to play out without that superstar. And then if they're in need, you know, mid-season, something like that, go make a move. 
uh, maybe try to do like a, a trade and sign for somebody to bring them in and lock them down a little longer. Somebody like D'Angelo Russell, which is why we said that Golden State signed him. As soon as Clay Thompson comes back, you can move D'Angelo Russell. Go get yourself a legit big. Man, I, I, I feel like Golden State just is not going to drop a beat here, even with everything against them. Come playoff time, if that team is healthy, it's going to be interesting. Uh, a couple of free agents that are still out there. Uh, number one, DeMarcus Cousins. Like, nobody's calling about Boogie Cousins. Hey, Lakers, get on the phone. Uh, and the other one that's out there, due to bringing in D'Angelo Russell, the Golden State Warriors have rescinded their rights to Quinn Cook. Quinn Cook is now an unrestricted free agent. Huckleberry, we talked a lot about Quinn Cook going through this playoff run, mostly because we're Dukies, but he's also the backup to Steph Curry. I mean, it's not like he was playing in a bad spot out there in Golden State. I could absolutely see a team like the Lakers bring him in. Yeah, if Rondo's going to start, fine. But when LeBron gets sick of his shit, you can just move Quinn Cook into that spot, and you're not going to lose nothing. Well, you see, that's an interesting thing. I, I wonder if teams are just trying to wait it out. Cook, I mean, Cook. Quinn Cook to me is is one of the hottest free agents still remaining here. Way better than Cousins. I mean, Cousins took a good climb the last six years. Uh, I think he's great in your spots, but I don't really think you rely on him throughout the duration. So I think people are waiting to get him on the cheap. You know, sign him up when it is a, a necessity. Veterans minimum but, deal. If they can pull it off, yeah, I'm talking about you know, arguably, you know, someone that's going to be one of the best players coming off the bench and could easily slide into a starting role for you. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Quinn Cook. Always have been, going all the way back to his Duke days. Uh, and then you have the 2020 free agency class, just not that interesting. There's a lot of really good B level players out there. So that we're not going to have this excitement next year. We're going to have this setup going forward for the next couple of years. That Western Conference is going to be absolutely loaded. Huckleberry, let's go ahead. Let's jump into the pro wrestling stuff this week. And once again, we have to start off on a sad note as we had Pero Aguayo pass away on July 3rd at the age of 73. Um, of course, a huge name inside of the Lucha community going back to the 70s, the 80s, and then the 90s with Triple A's rise to prominence down there in Mexico. Chief rival of El Santo, he... he Became known to the North American American audience, I guess I should say, uh, when he became the very first ever WWF light heavyweight champion, even though they don't necessarily trace all those roots. You know, Rick, I, I have all these accolades here. The one that really, really stood out to me, the man who took Conan's mask. Of course, we, we, we know the legend of Conan. How big of a deal do you got to be in Mexico to take Conan's freaking mask? Inducted into the AAA Hall of Fame in 2012. Rick, I know you're not necessarily a big lucha guy, but you do have an appreciation for the history of the professional wrestling business. Were you ever into Pero Aguayo, or did you just kind of skip that even when you were a kid? No, even... You know, even at the time, I was completely aware of them. Uh, as I've, I've said a, a number of times, I was very fortunate to have uncles who were both tape traders. I had two uncles on each side of my family that were into tape trading. And it, it wasn't often, but every now and then you'd find something that included some, you know, some Lucha Libre, some things from AAA, anything really from Mexico. Uh, and absolutely, uh, you know, aware of who the individual was that you laid out here is Peril was, you know, arguably the second biggest name there, you know, yeah. on that scene for so long, you know, rivaling El Santo. Uh, and it, but really, what really jumps out to me here is if you got all these accolades listed, uh, the man that took Conan's mask. I mean, can you imagine such an achievement there? It's hard to imagine Conan with the mask. Yeah, at, at this, this point. point, right? Yeah, it's crazy to think of how big of a deal Conan was in Mexico, both masked and unmasked. Once he took that mask off, man, that's when Conan really took off. And he started landing all the TV shows and the Telemundo stuff and... It's crazy. You, how old was he when he lost his mask? Do you happen to know? No, I don't know right offhand, but I have to think. Let's see. I would guess late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, I mean, because he he really bust into the North American scene in the mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it had to have been shortly there before that. Then, like you know, probably like early nineties. Yeah, and it, I, I think. If you were to talk to Pero Aguayo, he, he was so proud of his son, Pero Aguayo Jr., who passed away in 2015. But 
the two Mexican national tag team championship reigns that really brought Pero Aguayo Jr. into the forefront down there in AAA. He was only 35 when he passed away, and we, we saw this huge kind of renaissance of the Aguayo family, especially here in the States with everything that was going on around Lucha Underground and whatnot. RIP to the true Mexican legend, Pero Aguayo. All right, Huckleberry, let's uh let, let's talk some more current stuff. We we got to get this WWE stuff out of the way and then we'll uh we'll get to the fun stuff on the on the back half of the show. WWE went extreme this past week. Paul Heyman kind of taking over the reins of Monday Night Raw or at least that's what they would like you to believe on the uh, Road to Extreme Rules. SmackDown Live was an absolute train wreck. It was the same old SmackDown. Bischoff was not running SmackDown. He was, in fact, backstage. But no influence on the show whatsoever at this point. He's trying to get accustomed to the talent, to the writers, to the producers, which is much more important than the in-ring action on SmackDown. Any comments on SmackDown before we jump into what happened on Monday Night Raw? No, just as you said, you know, this is a... uh a, a grooming, a learning period right here for Eric Bischoff. I, I really wish, though, you know, as if we were previewing this thing Monday in the locker room, the, the only headline ahead is the Bish is back. Yep. And if you're going to bring us something like that, and maybe to speak to both shows, and we and we did see some changes on Raw. You know, the people that are on the inside, you know, we we definitely were pointing out a little things that maybe had a bit of touch from Heyman or had that extreme influence about them. I, at no point did I really have the impression that, that he was running the entire show. Uh, now we've come to learn that he was sitting at Gorilla with, with Vince, so Vince was still doing a lot of it there. Uh, I know the old that's a of the gate for me. you, you got to do this all time. you got to show me more. Uh, what I really feel that they really dropped the ball on is – they leaked it out there. They got this so hyped. And I know going back, you know, last week, a week or so, we had talked about how we didn't want either one of these two to be involved on screen. I feel like they should have came out this week and had those guys on there uh, addressing this thing. Really take that excitement level to, you know, that that next step, that next that next echelon there. Really blow that up because what you need and, what's, and how this is going to work, this isn't the casuals getting excited that Heyman and Bischoff are there. This is more set to, to really get grab that hardcore audience back here. And I know there were some people out there who argue like, well, that hardcore audience is still there. They never left. Nope. As you point out all the time, Jargo, no, they're not. The ratings are showing that. They are the ones that are leaving in masses. Now, just because we're still talking about it, that's a different thing. Talking about and watching are completely different. We can go you know, to the podcast platform, to the dirt sheets. You know, just to their social media and get enough, you know, where we can speculate and talk about what's going on behind the scenes. That's where the excitement's at. They should have brought that to the camera, got us excited. We'll start talking about it more through our social media to start talking about it in real life. And then that's going to grab casuals to come back. Okay, so let's talk about Monday Night Raw, because like you said, we did have some some Paul Heyman touches on Monday Night Raw. And I understand people are ranting and raving that, oh, my God, this was by far the best Raw of the year. And I just feel like that's a really, really low standard because as while I feel like this was a better show, there's still so many issues inside of the show. There was definitely some good things. I felt like the pacing of the show was much better than it has been in previous weeks. It didn't feel so jarring as far as starting and stopping and restarting and stopping. But we did have some of that throughout this show as well. Let's start things off with Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley. Falls count anywhere and... Like you said, you wanted to start things off with a bang. They absolutely came out and started things off with a bang. And I feel like this is such a psychology trick that was pulled by Vince McMahon and the WWE here, right? Like, okay, let's go back in time. Let's go back in time like four months, right? And if I tell you Braun Strowman is going to do a big stunt 
backstage that's going to involve all kinds of props like maybe he's going to take a grappling hook and get a hold of the stage and he's going to pull part of the stage over Paul Heyman was responsible for that if I tell you Paul Heyman was responsible for that you probably would have believed me like going into this show knowing that Paul Heyman was in charge the angle that they did to start off Monday Night Raw with Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley is no different than anything they've been doing with Braun Strowman for the last year and a half but you have it in your heads that this is Paul Heyman Paul Heyman did this no this is just another freaking stunt that they did with Braun Strowman to write him off TV for a while that's all that this was and I think he, we did hear there was some influence there from Paul. He might have just been the one that said, hey, man, let's open the show with this. You know, right. you know let's start with this bang here. And, and you do got to kind of like a little bit of the symbolism. You know, hey, we're, we're kind of burning it down, you know, not to take anything from Seth there. But, you know, start it over. We're blowing this whole thing up. It's starting over. Our two behemoths are on the way out of here. What's going to happen? You know, who's going to rise to that, that monstrous spot to be that, that larger than life star? Uh, yeah, you know, I thought it was a fun way to open. It got people excited. I was probably, I know a lot of people were popping for uh, for Graves, dropping the, the holy shit. Yep. Uh, hey, I, I was more excited in this entire thing to see the return of Pyro. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it wasn't good. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying let's not lose our minds and think that we're going to get this every week on Monday Night Raw because this is the Braun Strowman shtick, right? This is what we do with Braun Strowman. Um. I do wish that there's a couple of things that they would have changed. Number one, I wish that instead of that fixed hard cam that sat there for about three minutes, that it would have been a roving cam. Because as soon as we went to that shot, my initial thought was, why in the hell is there a camera there? It makes absolutely no sense that we would have a fixed hard cam mounted up in the balcony overviewing the backstage area. It would have been much more powerful with just a roving cam. That I can, But I can get past that, right? With all the sparks and all the fireworks and, oh, my God, that's the brain unit that runs this entire thing. I wish they would have left the lights off. Keep the stage off for, like, the first hour of a show. Have a couple of supposed tech guys coming out and trying to figure stuff out while there's matches going on. Like, when the War Raiders came out and they just had the one red spotlight and that was all they had coming to the ring. And then you have New Day come out and it's like everything just lights back up. And it's just like, no, damn it. Just keep it dark for, like, an hour. It adds so much more authenticity to this thing. Well, I, I was thinking about, too, as the show was going on, instead of even having the talent use the actual stage, I would have them come off the side of the ramp, you know, really sell the devastation. we got our crew working on this as fast as we can. You know, please stay tight, you know, sit tight, remain with us, you know, sell this thing. It's something legit. I mean, these two monsters just destroyed everything that was back there. You know, not that, hey, we got the greatest IT team in the world. They did this over commercial break. Right. It, it just it seemed absolutely and, and especially that lends to the, the idea when you replay this thing, they replayed this spot at least half a dozen, 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 dozen. Yeah. And, and rightfully, 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 tuning in that might have missed it, missed it, missed it, missed it. Shit, I got to make sure I'm tuned, I'm tuned, I'm tuned, I'm top of the show. Nobody checks on Braun Strowman or Bobby Lashley. It takes like a good minute and a half, two minutes before the medical team arrives. But as long as we've got all the equipment taken care of, as long as we're hitting all the electrical stuff with fi with the uh, fire extinguishers, everything will be fine. It's the way that it played poor, out. Hey, poor Lashley, man. He, he got burnt to a crisp. Did you see him? Yeah crazy and i would have had sparks going off every like you know maybe 15 20 minutes just to have something pssst, little spark fly thought that'd be a nice touch so we 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 move forward into this first mashup right we have new day taking on the viking raiders and then we have a commercial break so we have to stop the wrestling so we just add in kofi kingston and samoa joe and then we have a six-man tag like we are trying so freaking hard to not have wrestling during commercial breaks that we're just manufacturing shit on smackdown we had another two out of three falls match between miz and elias and the first fall goes like 10 seconds and the second fall goes like a minute and a half and then the third fall goes like seven minutes okay but now you're gonna have this on raw too right yeah 
But but here's the problem. Okay. Then come the pay-per-view, you're going to expect me to believe that all of a sudden these guys go out and they they wrestle for 15 minutes. For a one fall. For one fall. It just doesn't make any sense. You're blowing up your own narrative and trying to stick to this asinine conclusion. Like, just format your goddamn show right. This is not hard. It's it's the reverse factor of going back when Rollins was going out there every week and working 30, 35 minutes. And then at the pay-per-view, he goes into an 30-man iron match. We're supposed to believe he's going to get pinned four times within that time set. Right. It just doesn't make any kind of logical sense. Miz versus Elias. First fall goes 10 seconds. Second fall goes two minutes. Third fall goes four minutes. And then you're going to expect me to believe these guys can go out and have a 12-minute match. And it just it doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever. Um, also on Monday Night Raw this week, we got to see the dead man. That's right. Undertaker shows back up, comes out, cuts himself a promo. That's really slow. And... It's just Undertaker talking and talking and talking. I think it was so. It was classic Taker. It was classic Taker. People still pop for that entrance. Yeah, but it's it's hilarious, he's not, man. He's it's not like going anywhere. Going back and watching Undertaker promos at this point, like we always think, consider like Undertaker a great promo, but he never says anything. Like even going back to like watch a bunch of his stuff in the '90s, it's just like cliche, cliche, dead man stuff, and you will rest in peace. Like, there, there, there's no substance. That's all he has to say. And it was the same. No, that's all he has to it's say. Like it's Ultimate in delivery. Warrior. Ultimate Warrior back in the 80s, man. Go back and watch some of those promos. And it's like, what the fuck is he talking about? Hey, Hogan and Macho Man made hardly any sense. Oh, it's just ridiculous. It, you know, and there was a lot of times Piper wasn't making sense, but it was in delivery. It was, it was the attitude, the swag that one has with it. How they're bringing it to you. You just felt the intensity, man. And... and even if it wasn't, you know, making so much sense, you felt what they meant. You knew they meant business. That's the beauty of it. I love this thing here from Taker, man. All around. The entrance that's still in itself gives people goosebumps, still gives you the chills. It's He doesn't have to break everything down and over-explain everything. You just know the point of when Undertaker is talking to you. It strikes fear into your, you know, down to your very soul. And he's not going anywhere. All these people, oh, he needs to hang it up. He needs to retire. You know, you need to check that garbage. Check that garbage at the door. He's not going anywhere. So I like what they're doing here. They're putting him in a tag match. He's not going to have to do much here. And he's going to be, you know, people are going to, he's going to be able to get in there, hit a few big moves, maybe walk the rope, hit the tombstone. That's all you need out of him. Roman can go in there and do the work. Shane's going to have a big spot in there to kind of take away some of, you know, that that hype, that pressure there. It's going to work all the way around. All right, so let's talk about the burial. And I and it doesn't have anything to do with Undertaker. Let's talk about the burial that was Mike and Maria Canellis. We had a public burial on Monday Night Raw. That's something that we haven't seen in quite a while. Mike Canellis is freaking buried, dude. There is no coming back from what they did to Mike and Maria on Monday Night Raw. Like, I don't even care about this pregnancy angle. I don't care that she's actually pregnant. I don't care who supposedly got her pregnant. I, I have no desire to ever see Mike Kanellis on my TV again. He was so emasculated on Monday Night Raw that I cannot take him seriously as a professional wrestler anymore. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say I don't even care about the content. Just the delivery, the execution was just so bad all around. You, and you were talking about burial, just not just not uh, Mike Bennett. Yeah, Mr. Bennett, we'll, 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 we'll show you the respect that you, that you need there. You're not somebody's bitch. Uh, but how bad was Becky and Seth during the backstage promo as well? Well, and and like I wasn't even gonna get to to Seth and Becky yet. Like, like I want to focus on Mike and Maria for a second. I, I think this. I think it just. I think it just lends to how bad this was all the way around. There was no redeeming qualities in the execution of this thing. And the, to me, the worst part of this whole thing is that you use Seth and Becky to do it. Like, like Seth and Becky have no business being anywhere near this kind of bullshit. And if you want to look at one thing on this show that screams Paul Heyman, it's not what happened with Braun and Bobby Lashley. It's this Mike and Maria thing. Like, this screams Paul Heyman to me. And this was just awful. Absolutely awful. Well, go- you know, going back to it, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, 
a lot of people, you know, when you think about ECW and the brilliance of Paul Heyman, you think about the extreme, all those over-the-top moments, those great characters. You know, what gets lost in there first is the great, tr- the tremendous technical wrestling that came out of ECW. Uh, you know, some of this, those great bouts there, you know, anything with Jericho, Mysterio, Malenko, uh, Guerrero, beyond, I mean, they, hey, Van Dam and Lynn would go out there and put on some absolute technical, you know, and then just, you know, even there at that time, you know, the high-flying ability as well. Uh, but, you know, you, you think about the extreme. Going further down that, they ran a lot of relationship angles in ECW. Yes, they did. A lot. And 90% of them were not good in any way, shape, or form. Like, Paul Heyman seems to have this obsession with writing romance novels, and he's just not a very good romance novel writer. You know, it's so let's get to the Seth and Becky part of this thing. Like I said, they they have number one, zero business being anywhere near this thing. Number two, this on-screen pairing of Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch is not doing either one of them any kind of favors whatsoever. Uh, yeah, and I didn't even like, you know, they're sitting there, they're, they're giving the uh, they're alluding towards, you know, they're they're their bed life, you know, what, what it's like at home and all that stuff. Come on. You're supposed to be representing this company and your divisions as, as true champions here. And you're, you're just kind of playing little grab ass with each other in the back. Uh, this right now, this has already been dragging Seth down for some time. We've seen this happening to him for, you know, the last couple of weeks, but man, this, this really got Becky as well. I mean, she went down a couple pegs, like seriously went down a couple pegs here. When we look at the WWE landscape, all right, and we do all these different things inside of the WWE landscape, we have Raw, we have SmackDown, we have pay-per-views, we have NXT, we have NXT TakeOver, we have the Cruiserweight Classic, we have the Mae Young Classic, somewhere in there is 205 Live, but all the way at the bottom is the Mixed Match Challenge. WWE audience does not give a shit about mixed match intergender wrestling. We never have. Vince has tried to push it on us for years, and the WWE audience has never cared. Never. So let's do it with our supposed two biggest stars in Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch, and nobody cares. We don't care at all. And all this is doing is damaging both of them. And you know what really here in two points. Uh, first one I wanted to make here is about the match itself. And then we'll get back to the couples here. Uh, they, they emphasize all the time during these matches, women versus women, men versus men. But yet we continue to see the women taking advantage of the men in these matches. I mean, should that have been a, an obvious disqualification in this match uh, with Becky forcing Mike to tap out? And especially this weekend, because this weekend we are going to see quite possibly the greatest intergender wrestling match that we have ever seen when Tessa Blanchard takes on Sammy Callahan at Slammiversary. We're going to talk about that. It's got the whole freaking wrestling world buzzing. And WWE, number one, wasted a pay-per-view main event to set up a second pay-per-view main event that's going to be an intergender fucking tag match. Well, and it, you know, we're both talking about these intergender squads. Uh, you want to talk about power couples? They're, they're presenting Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans as a more legit duo who are focused on the goal at hand, and that is winning the championship and admitting they're willing to do anything, especially at extreme rules where anything can go. They're focused on the prize, not on, you know, they're, you know, like I said, playing grab ass with one another. Um, I, I think one important thing to point out when people talk about this episode of Monday Night Raw was so much better than all the other Raws that we've seen this year. This was probably the least amount of Baron Corbin that you have seen on Monday Night Raw this year. Less Baron Corbin equals a better Monday Night Raw. And this week's Raw was a perfect example of it because all we got was like 20 seconds of Baron Corbin in that little backstage with Lacey Evans, who was by far the star of the segment. Most of the time you get Baron Corbin like every other freaking segment on Monday Night Raw, and it leads to a terrible show. I, I, I can't disregard that. 
One of the other things that they actually did very, very well on this week's episode of Monday Night Raw is we had a story running through the show. Yeah, we actually can still do that with this whole Ricochet versus AJ Styles thing. Some of the segments were good. Some of the segments were bad. But at least there were multiple segments and a story running throughout the show. And so help me God. If, if we can get rid of one thing, like I'll even take these two out of three falls matches for commercial breaks. If we can just stop shaking the camera every time somebody punches somebody in the goddamn face. Like I can't tell the AJ Styles or Ricochet just hit the other one without the fucking camera moving around and trying to give me a fucking seizure. Can we stop that? Just absolutely asinine. There we go. And that's a WWE. Hey, hey, you know Kevin what I really Dunn like thing. there? Go ahead, Rick. Well, I was going to say, you just to talk about the story running throughout the show, you know, usually this would have been like our opening segment where you just crammed the entire conversation into 20, 25 minutes. Yep. Uh, but it was nice here that they took the time to spread this thing out. They were short. They were sweet. And as you said, you know, some were better than, better than others, but I didn't think any were bad because they were over with before they really started dragging where you're like, OK, it's nice. It's done. And we'll come back to it in, you know, 12, 15 minutes or a half hour. Absolutely. Uh, so let's take a look at the Extreme Rules, the updated card. Uh, Undertaker and Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon. That's going to be in a no-holds-barred match, which I would like to know what holds that they they wouldn't be using, you know, that they're going to use inside this match. Extreme Rules tag match for both the Universal and Raw Women's Championship, which is such a bad idea. that like Unless Seth and, and Becky just straight beat these two fools. This is such an awful idea. Seth and Becky take on Corbin and Lacey Evans. WWE Championship, Kofi versus Joe. Rick, is there going to be a stipulation on this match? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get something last minute uh, just to try to get some hype here. I uh, you know as I, I asked in the, the live discussion over on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion Group, I, I mean, I love Joe, love Samoa Joe. But at this point, is, is there any reason to get excited for him in these situations? I mean, this match has pretty much come out of nowhere. It, it, it feels like he still has unfinished business involving the United States Championship. You know, like we just seemingly are jumping over that, you know, another big match that he lost where he didn't come up, where he hasn't won anything big here. And now we're supposed to believe that he's just he's a, an actual threat here to Kofi Kingston. This just screams so much filler. And again, for Joe, you know, as we've seen so many times with these big dominant monsters here, uh, they've, they've done it to Braun, they've done it to competition, but this 50 or sub 50-50 and zero marquee wins has absolutely destroyed their credibility. Yep, it's, it's kind of like an NXT where you got to lose the championship before you get called up to the main roster. Joe had to lose the U.S. title before he could get a championship match against Kofi Kingston. Just seems stupid to me. Smith well, and and I, get, I get in the sense that it was Joe taking this on himself. You know, it wasn't given to him. He went out there and attacked the champ. He put himself in that spot and Kofi accepted here. But as a competitor, I mean, Joe, you have zero marquee wins since you've left NXT. Yeah, And each and every time you're in this spot here where you can't get over, I mean, I'm talking, I'm just talking inside the narrative. Well, I, I guess when, when I asked the question about the stipulation, I was, I was more so referring to a macro sense here. Like I, I understand it's extreme rules, but WWE has this horrible reputation of just throwing gimmicks on matches for the sakes of throwing gimmicks on matches, especially when it comes to extreme rules. Like it wouldn't surprise me to see this end up a freaking ladder match for no apparent reason. Well, and I think in that, and that's why I was, you know, what I was speaking towards there, you know, the credibility with Joe, how much interest is there in this match? I mean, if you're WWE, you might be sitting back there. Hey, what is always their bandaid, man? When something's broken, it's not generating a lot of interest. It's slap a gimmick on it. Just Joe losing another big match. SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey versus Alexa Bliss. SmackDown Tag Team Championship, Triple Threat, as the Angry Vegans take on Heavy Machinery and The New Day. Cruiserweight Championship, Drew Gulak versus Tony Nese. That's, of course, a rematch from when Gulak won the championship in a triple threat. And then we have an open challenge. Aleister Black has been calling for weeks for somebody to come face him. And now we have somebody playing Ding Dong Ditch with Alistair Black. They came up and they knocked on the door. And when Alistair answered the door, they ran away. This is so freaking stupid. We've had him calling people out for weeks. And now they're not even going to tell us who is going to answer the challenge until the pay-per-view. 
But I guess they're trying to keep that that mystery. Who's playing this mind game with them? Uh, I, again, this is just another mismanaged talent. You know, he comes up, they slap him in a tag team. He has no business being in. It has nothing. It lends nothing to that character to what he is about. And then, you know, and the only reason I picked this up, uh, Ben Hamin pointed it out. You know, as he's mentioned, they need somebody to monitor the social media. You go out there and harm your character, you're getting hit with a fine. You got Alistair Black out there on social media now performing that uh, the water bottle challenge. You know, like he's playing to the masses. He's joining in with just the, the, the normal, you know, the average Joes of the world. Uh, yeah, this, this is the sinister black one here. Well, and, and what's the pop? Like, okay, so we, we, we've we been building to this Alistair Black debut, or re-debut, I guess as it may be, for weeks, right? With all these vignettes. Then you're going to give us a mystery opponent who we assume should be somebody that we want to see win the match, right? So what's the pop? Either Alistair Black loses his re-debut or this questionable opponent is just going to fall flat. It's going to be Randy Orton, right? Man, but Randy Orton doesn't seem like, even though he plays those mind games, he doesn't seem like the, uh, you know, the, the knock and run type. I mean, this is like some childish stuff. I mean, the, I'm the, other, like, the other option I'm hearing uh, you know, maybe, is that maybe this is Bray Wyatt. And I, I, that's a terrible idea. One of these guys is going to be dead on arrival after this match. I could see the I could see that playing into the fun house. He's having fun playing with him there. Um, man, it, it is going to be tricky how they're presenting this thing. As you said, it. I mean, I got a feeling it's going to end up being someone that's an absolute joke. Uh, as we're going to come out and get a squash match, and this whole thing is going to be for nothing. It's got to be like Drake Maverick or something. Uh, otherwise, this is not going to work. It's not going to work at all. Um, not confirmed at this point, but kind of expected at this point, I think. You have to have Ricochet versus AJ Styles for the United States Championship. What about somebody that you brought back, like Boogeyman or something? I mean, uh, that would generate some interest. But then you have Black go over. But does that really, I mean, but Boogeyman's going to get that pop. I mean, is that going to do a lot for Black? No. No, not at all. Like, th- that's what I'm saying. This, providing a mystery to a mystery just equals a double negative and nobody gets over ricochet versus AJ styles for the U S title. The iconics are going to take on the Kabuki warriors for the uh, women's tag team championships. The Kabuki warriors won a match in Japan that qualified them for a match, even though they haven't been on SmackDown TV since when's the last time you saw Oscar or Kyrie Sane on freaking SmackDown, or when's the last time that you saw these two guys actually have a match. Finn Balor is going to take on Shinsuke Nakamura for the intercontinental championship. That should be a main event. This should be a dream match main event that we haven't seen in years. And it's like the main event of main event because WWE is not giving either one of these guys any airtime. I was going to say, you know, right now that just screams kickoff to me. Yeah. And what a damn shame. Like if, if Prince Devitt was taking on Shinsuke Nakamura, you could headline Dominion with that. You know, come on. Just do the work. Do the work. Oh, wait, that's Cody Rhodes is saying. Do the work. Let's get some Fight for the Fallen updates going on here. Road 2, Episode 2, Fight for the Fallen, circles around Brandy Rhodes. Huckleberry, have you had a chance to check out Episode 2 of Road 2 yet? I I have not yet, man. I I had it on my list. I wanted to get up early before record, but I'll be honest with you. I slept in. Okay, so so Episode 2 is basically built around introducing you to the wrestling character that is Brandy Rhodes. And they present her in a very sympathetic light because they get all into her figure skating career and how she sabotaged her own figure skating career and how she considers herself a miserable failure and how hard she has been training for this to prove everybody, but mostly herself wrong in this mashup coming up against Allie at fight for the fallen one thing. And we touched on this. I want to say it was in the locker room. We have to re-educate wrestling fans. This is not going to be heels and baby faces. This, I, I, yeah, there's exceptions. Jericho is clearly a heel. MJF clearly a heel. 
But most of these characters, I think, are going to fall under Cody's kind of logic where baby faces and heels no longer exist. It's going to be situational where you want to see this person win because you like this person more or you want to see this person win because you like this person more. Not necessarily that one's an awful human being and one's a good human being. They're trying to present a more sports-like context where you are either Team Brandy or you're Team Allie and they're both good people and they're just they have a game against each other this week this is going to be you know the Kansas City Chiefs versus the New England Patriots and if you're a Patriots fan great and if you're a Chiefs fan great it's not that one group is a terrible group of individuals well I guess that could be argued about the Patriots but you know it it, that's how this thing is going to work it's not going to be your traditional babies and heels well that's and that's what I really took from what Cody said that it's not that they're just going to be kind of cookie cutter individuals they're going to have personalities. They're going to have a Jericho personality. They're going to have an MJF personality, but it's going to be, and that might be straight heel, but it's going to be up to the fan. If you want to embrace that, if you, if you think it's great what he's doing, then it's fine. They're not going to try to overwork you to, you know, to get you to, to cheer along with so-and-so or to hate on so-and-so. And I love how you put it out there. It's just like sport, uh, you know, here, um, where you're sitting as a Laker fan. Kawhi Leonard is definitely a heel. Well, I would say bigger, you know, uh, LeBron is is not a bad guy to you. You know, he's trying to lead some things a certain direction. I know like everything he's got he's going on. But he, yeah, but you know in there he can get you somewhere. He, he can still get you to a championship. You're in favor of him. You come here to Ohio where I'm sitting? Absolutely. I mean, he, I, I think he would probably, members of ISIS would be welcome here before LeBron was welcomed back. I mean, that's how much of a heel he's become here in Ohio for turning his back twice. You know, twice on especially the city of Cleveland, but the state of Ohio. And it's going to be that's what's going to be great about watching Kawhi Leonard in L.A. because this is going to split the fan base. Clippers fans are going to treat him like a baby face. Lakers fans are going to treat him like a heel. And those two teams are going to play each other several times throughout the season. I want to say it's like 12 games or something like that. And yeah. six of them are going to be on a Lakers floor. Six of them are going to be on a Clippers floor. And they're all, all under one roof. And all 12 of them are going to have that split fan base. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, could you imagine if they if they fell on each other in the playoffs? Oh man, get a seven game series for the Battle of Los Angeles. That, that might outdraw the finals. I'm I'm just saying. Uh, Cody Rhodes and his brother Dustin Rhodes are going to take on the Young Bucks, and I think this is another perfect example of the whole baby faces and heels things. Like, well, the Young Bucks are the Young Bucks, and you know. I guess they're a really good example. Some people love the Young Bucks, and some people are like Jim Cornette. You know? Just hates them. No matter what they do. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Again, you're going to have these great divides. You're going to have these great divides. Looking forward to that matchup. Kenny Omega is going to take on Shima. Hangman Page versus Kip Sabian. And then the most interesting matchup on this card that is announced... Rick, we got, you want teams. We got teams here. Jimmy Havoc, Joey Janela, and Darby Allen are going to be on one side, and they are going to be taking on the team of Sean Spears, Sammy Guevara, and MJF. Sean Spears and MJF on the same team. And those two guys don't necessarily like each other. That's right. Even the bad guys don't necessarily get along with the bad guys. The bad guys are still the bad guys. And these two bad guys don't like each other. Well, I think for time, for the time being, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, true colors come out here with MJF. It's he's kind of manipulating the boss, trying to get in the good graces of the office, trying to work his way up that card. I, I think, you know, everyone was kind of, ooh, is this some kind of turn? Or, or you know, it's confusing in his character. I, I think ultimately you just see what trying to true scumbag MJF is. Yeah. The salt of the earth. Looking forward to that matchup. And I, I don't, I, this might be the first six man tag team match that I've been looking forward to in a very, very long time. Uh, then we have AEW and triple a, of course they have a working relationship together. August 3rd, triple mania is going on down in Mexico and Huckleberry. They're getting themselves an AEW rematch as it's going to be the elite taking on the Lucha bros and the Laredo kid at triple mania. Looking forward to that. You know, I told Billy Ray Valentine, this match could be a main event in Mexico and well, it's going to be a semi main event. Then we have a big six man tag match as Kane Velasquez 
makes his pro wrestling debut alongside Cody Rhodes and the biggest baby face in Mexico, the Psycho Clown, taking on Tejano Jr., Taurus, and a TBA. A TBA. That one has me intrigued because that could be an AEW talent. That could be like a Sean Spears. But then your big main event, of course, this in no way related to AEW, but the match that's going to put asses in seats in Mexico, Blue Demon Jr. is going to take on Dr. Wagner Jr. in a mask versus hair match. So either Blue Demon is going to lose his mask or Dr. Wagner Jr., who was unmasked a couple years ago at Triple Mania, is going to lose his hair too. I think the doctor is going to be leaving without some hair. I, I think that is the case as well. I, I, could you imagine Blue Demon losing his mask? Like, there's who, no way. Who took Wagner's mask? Was it Demon? Um, no, I want, it was Psycho Clown. Oh, okay. It was I don't know Clown. why I had Demon in my head. That's when I remember looking at this match, like, whoa, this would be a hell of like redemption story here. But okay, it was Psycho Clown. I got it. You know, it's funny. Uh, we were talking about Paraguayo at the beginning of the show. As I was uh, looking through, like, you know, his list of accolades, they actually have a listing of all the mask and hair matches that he had over the course of the years. That guy was putting his hair on the line like twice a week at one <laughs> point in his freaking career. Absolutely ridiculous. So he he truly was the rinse and repeat guy. Yeah, pretty much. But rinse, I mean, condition, and repeat. And, and, and that sounds ridiculous to us now. But you have to consider this was in Mexico in the 70s. You right. Know, it's the same, same thing as Flair traveling around having that same match, you know, exactly. in, in every little territory, putting on that show for each unique little audience. It was before you had the national exposure or even the global exposure, you know, through social media that we have now. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about Slammiversary. Big show coming up on Sunday. And Huckleberry, some people are calling this the pay-per-view of the year. And, you know, on paper... This does look like a really, really good show. Kind of run through the, the card here for people real quick. Brian Cage is going to take on Michael Elgin for the Impact World Championship. That big intergender match, Tessa Blanchard versus Sammy Callahan. Rich Swan versus Johnny Impact for the X Division title. Rob Van Dam takes on Moose. LAX takes on the Rascals for the Impact Tag Team Championships. Taya, Havoc, Rosemary, and Sue Young in a fatal four-way Monsters Ball for the Knockouts Championship. And Killer Cross versus Eddie Edwards. That's your big grudge match for this thing. This looks like a really good card to me. I think we had some breaking news here. Did they switch the tag team titles? Did they switch the tag team titles? Oh, did that happen uh, on Impact last night or something? Here we go. Uh, a surprising, a surprising, uh, surprising title change went down on Impact Wrestling Special. Oh, the Bash at the Brewery. Bash at William Allen, our good friend, uh, has uh, the details here. Let me pull up his story here. Uh, as I'm pulling this up here, we're talking about the two big ones. We had the. Uh, the press passes where we got to uh, hear from the champ, Brian Cage, this week. Well, partially uh, like, anyway. I mean, the audio yeah, on I mean, that was awful. Um, and then we did have uh, Josh Matthews yesterday on the Impact Press Pass. That so so some great. great hype going into this thing here. Let me pull this up here. Uh, Bash at the Brewery, Impact did it again. The North, Josh Alexander and All Ego, Ethan Page uh, defeated the mighty Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions LAX to become the new Tag Team Champions. Interesting. I heard they also did a big angle with uh, Brian Cage and Michael Elgin last night with uh, Brian Cage getting the beat down with some chair shots to the spine. You know, it's it's not like any of us reported that he was injured or anything going into that. Looking looking at this, the way this reads, it looks like that LAX might be out of that match then as the new champs, the North, will defend against the Rascals. Okay, so let's talk about LAX. We have heard a lot of rumblings about their contract situation. Rick, if you're LAX, there is a lot of money to be made elsewhere. Um, uh, anywhere that you really go right now. Obviously, we know Conan has been working with AEW as well. Um, is it time for LAX to make that jump to All Elite Wrestling? You know what? We've got a lot of time before All Out. And I would love to see them maybe make that firm, you know, make that firm deal that we are we are concrete. We are AEW if they want to go that way, because then, you know, you can also still you can, if you want to go do anything in Japan, you can 
you want to do anything in triple A, you're going to have that. You're going to have that option. But until then, give me a tour. Go work some places. Go give me some damn dream matches. Go work in the NWA for a little bit. I, and really, I don't care if it's under the NWA, the Ring of Honor barrel banner. Just give it to give me. me. Give me the Briscoes versus LAX. Yep. Uh, you won't be able to print enough tickets or collect enough money. Yeah, I don't even care if you do that at Northeast Wrestling. Like, I, I don't care. Anywhere. Just and, and where it's it at, happen. make it available somewhere live. Yep. Uh, Honor Club somewhere. Get a deal done. Get that thing out there. This would be huge. Yeah, I at agree. this point. Um, speaking of of tag team free agency, we we heard one team that's not going to be a group of free agents is the Good Brothers. They have actually re-signed with the WWE. Understand? They, they've come to terms, correct? But yeah. nothing's been inked. So that that one kind of caught me by surprise as well. So so it'll be the North taking on the Rascals for the Impact Tag Team Championships. LAX out. Um, I, I don't know if Brian Cage versus Michael Elgin is going to happen. And I don't feel any better about that match happening after listening to Brian Cage talk on the Impact Press Pass. He really like what seemed like he was trying to curb some people's expectations for for what was going to happen on Sunday, that he was not anywhere near 100%. I guess he has some numbness issues in his one leg resulting from that Spanish fly at... Um, Damn, whatever show that was. I forget which show that was. Uh, their last one. I can't yeah, remember the name. It was a, it was a new title. Show. Uh, rebellion, maybe? Um, yes, it was Rebellion. You had Homecoming and Rebellion. Uh, well, so I guess the bigger question here is, you know, what is, pun intended, what's, what's, what's a big enough main to make an impact to really send this thing home? You know, so much hype, as you said, around the show. The Impact Wrestling fans so excited. They're helping, you know, spread the word. People are getting excited about this one. I'm looking forward to it. You're looking forward to it. We kind of just... You know, we kind of watch Impact from a distance. I mean, it'll be—I think it'd be really interesting and telling in this show to see where the other big, the semi-main event in Blanchard and Sammy Callahan go off. Well, uh, I could very well see that this show ending with Tessa as the champion. Well, and the other possibility that you have to throw into that as well is the Rich Swan versus Johnny Impact X Division match because there's always option C. Um, we we do know it's not going to be Austin Aries. He's not returning to Impact Wrestling. He debuted for MLW over the course of the last week or so. A uh, little bit of a different look for Austin Aries, which I guess kind of works. But he he's still Austin Aries, and he's with MLW. He he's not coming back for this thing. Tessa Callahan Impact. I, I guess you could throw Moose into that. Is there anybody wonder, else that you consider in that main event? That- when, when you're looking at something that's going to blow people away, you want to create a buzz. You want everybody, you want the wrestling world talking about impact wrestling throughout the week. You know, just not beyond Monday morning. You want to overcome extreme rules. You want to keep the buzz going over what G1 is going to be bringing to the table. You have an opportunity here to grab that head seat at the table to get people talking about you. And, you know, you kept putting over here. This is a stacked card. It looks like it might fall apart a little bit. I'm wondering if you just go out there right now, especially, you know, the top dog WWE, they're, you know, they're in such in WWE fashion, you know, missing the mark and how they're pushing, you know, women right into their main event scene with this next match crap. Impact has a chance to really capitalize on this. I mean, they could do something pretty incredible putting that title on here. I I don't really know how I overall feel about it. Uh, I, I'm on the fence. You know, I can see the pros and the cons. But it will absolutely have everyone buzzing. I think I'd do it. I think I would do it. Just to steal the headlines from New Japan Pro Wrestling this weekend. I think I would do it. Because I, I would if you want what is going to happen at Slam Aversary to be the lead story in the locker room on Monday, you put the title on Tessa Blanchard. And I think too, you know, with Tessa it doesn't seem like a publicity stunt or a PR move with her. I mean, she has the credentials. She has that resume, that pedigree. And I think there's very few women that you could really get that from. You know, the two that come to mind that really wouldn't almost seem like you did this for some kind of stunt would either be Sharshar or Tessa. I, I think I'd throw Jordan Grace into that, too. I don't think she's quite there yet. I, you know, I still don't think she's as recognizable. I mean, because even with Tessa, not as recognizable by the main media but as soon as you say you know she is uh a, you know a daughter of a horseman yeah as soon as, you, as, soon as you see blanchard 
Right. Well, and that still doesn't lend as much as flair. But I mean, still, when you put a horseman in there and show a picture of the horseman right. where they do have the group there and you say this was her father here, people are going to remember Tully then at that point. I think Tully probably would be like the, the third remembered horseman. I mean, obviously, you got Flair, and then you got Arn, and then kind of, and then Tully, and then the rest of the group. All right, let's go ahead. Let's let's talk about the main event for the weekend. You know, I, Impact Wrestling. Props to you. You've put together a great card for Slammiversary, and you say that this might be the pay per view of the year. I'm not even sure that it's the pay per view of the weekend. The G1 Climax kicks off tonight. Saturday, July 6th in Dallas, Texas. You know, I'm going to uh, my sister's gender reveal party today. She she has four boys and the entire family is like, think pink, think pink, think pink. And I'm like, dude, it's going to be a dude. I'm, I'm telling you, we're going to round out the basketball team today. That's so with these uh, with these new with these new age gender reveal parties, do they have like 100 balloons? Is that how many genders we're up to now? Um, I think so. I think so. <laughs> um but so we're doing the gender reveal party and she's like, are you going to be able to make it? And I'm like, what time is it? And she's like, it's at noon. And I'm like, okay, I will be there at noon. I'm leaving at three 30 and I'm driving home and I'm watching the G one climax. I'm sorry. I got to work. I've got to go home and watch the G one climax. You know, I would love to stay and hang out at your gender reveal party, but I've got to work. I've got to go home and watch professional wrestling. Cause it's the G one fucking climax. And it starts tonight in Dallas, Texas, live on Access TV, Direct TV, channel 340. In fact, we're running a freaking New Japan marathon on Access TV today. So if you're a Direct TV subscriber, go ahead and flip over there. Get your uh, fill of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Huckleberry, I am pumped. I am so pumped for this card tonight. Let's go ahead. Let's start things off. Your opening match tonight is going to be the IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions, Rapungi 3K, taking on our boys. That's right. This is the Ho-Ass Podcast, and the Gorillas of Destiny are the Ho-Ass IWGP World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. Champions versus Champions to kick off the G1 in Dallas. This thing's going to be hot. R.I.P. Show and Yo, because there ain't no way G.O.D. is going down in this match. I, I think uh, Rapunky's going to come out fired up. They're going to try to get their shots in early, but when this match settles in, uh, it, I, I feel for I feel for the boys in Rapunky. Yeah, this thing's going to be hot, too, because G.O.D. is freaking over. Um, I, God, I hope that the attendance for this thing in Dallas tonight is good. That That's a big arena, and ticket sales just did not look very good for me. Uh, B-Block undercard is going to be full of tag team matches i'm not going to run through all the tag team matches but all of those matchups are to set up the b block matches that will start next saturday in japan to really kick off the g1 climax your your big matches of the night let's get into the a block matches will osprey takes on new friend of the show lance archer huckleberry this is a rematch from the new japan cup the, the upstart junior heavyweight Will Ospreay got the win in Japan during the New Japan Cup, and I think it's going to go quite differently for young Ospreay tonight. I think Lance Archer picks the big upset win in his hometown of Dallas. I think he is going to beat the ever-loving snot out of Will Ospreay. You know, Ospreay, he's gotten a little, uh, his mouth's gotten a little big for his britches too. Somebody needs to shut it for him, and I think it's going to be newfound friend of the show, Lance Archer. You know, so much on the line here, but for each of these individuals, I mean, you, you got Osprey, you know, he's looking to make that jump, prove himself is that he can compete in the heavyweight division, representing the juniors. But then you got Archer, who's, you know, who's now has found himself flying solo. You know, he's getting this opportunity in the G1 out there to show, you know, to prove to the entire world that he can hang without the killer elite squad. First matchup for Lance Archer inside of the G1 in about five years. Osprey, of course, making his G1 debut. I think Archer's going to get the big upset here in the, in the opening match of the G1 Climax. Uh, Evil takes on Bad Luck Fale. That's going to be your second A-block matchup of the night. This is going to be two hosses beating the ever-loving piss out of one another. Bad Luck Fale's uh, press conference yesterday. Some dude was harassing him that he can't wrestle, and he said, yes, I can, and yes, I will. Fuck him again. 
That was his entire press conference yesterday. Uh, hey, this, that one's right up my alley, baby. You know it. This is what I'm ready for. Are we going to go on the uh, bad luck Fale DQ streak? Is the DQ streak going to continue? Of course, he lost every match in last year's G1 Climax, most of them by disqualification. I'm going to say we're going to get him. We, we might shock the world here uh, and get a straight-up pin for him. Uh, come out and get that clean win. He's promising. He's guaranteeing this year that he can wrestle and uh, fuck everybody. He's here to show you. And evil, of course, kind of on the outside looking in at LIJ right now by his own choice. He is out to make a big statement that he is not the little brother of Sonata or Tetsuya Naito. Speaking of Sonata, he's up next. He's going to be taking on Zack Sabre Jr. Huckleberry, there's there's two more big matches on this show, but this very well could end up being the surprise match of the night. I'm expecting good things out of both of these guys. Yeah, I think, you know, this is going to be an absolute fun match. Both athletic guys you are going to see some high impact, but they're going to get in there and get a little technical, so it's going to offer uh, something for everybody, unless you said that, Joe. This is probably going to be one of those matches at the end of the weekend that certainly it's going to be standing out uh, amongst the wrestling world. I think probably the most anticipated matchup on this card is going to be Kota Ibushi taking on Kenta, Kenta's big debut inside of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Huckleberry, I'm excited to see just what Kenta's got, and we're throwing him into the deep end of the pool right off the bat. Hey, this is a big one for him, right? He's came, he's, he wants to reprove himself, let everyone know that he is Kenta. He is one of the best professional wrestlers in the world, and that's why he joined the G1. Uh, and this is a big one. You're talking about one of the biggest names, top five in the world right now, Ibushi. So Kenta's going gonna, gonna to have a, a lot to prove there. It'll be interesting to see how he looks as well. And then the clash of generations is ignited one more time as the uh, Japanese mega powers explode in the G1 climax here in the United States of America. You want to talk about two freaking icons? You've got it right here as Kazuchika Okada, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, takes on the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi, a match that... I could probably do an hour just on the the storyline between Okada and Tanahashi, the the legacy of these two guys. Not going to do it today because I got a gender reveal party to get to. Huckleberry, who are you picking tonight? I think I'm going to go with a 30 minute Broadway. I think that hey, that could be a very real possibility. But you know, looking at this, the eighth kind of had his his return spoiled there with Jay White. Uh, looking really to get back on track. He hasn't been himself almost a year here, and you got to believe that in the G1, uh, he's going to have this is where he really needs to redefine himself, uh, you know, to see if he really still has it here. But again, going up against arguably the greatest ever in Okada, talk about a main event for those in Dallas. You know, they couldn't get Moxley because of contract, uh, but it, they're taking care of you down there with this main event. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody should leave disappointed out of night one of the g1 climax looking forward to it 6 p.m eastern standard time access tv direct tv channel 340 so that's going to wrap things up for this week's a little bit shortened show but you know hey you got to do what you got to do thanks for listening and if you haven't yet please hit that subscribe button then visit us over at the hitting the marks podcast network htm podcast network hittingthemarks.com you can find us across all social media platforms at htmpwpod find me at not jargo visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers last word on prowrestling.com for all of your latest pro wrestling news be sure that you find me and Huckleberry this Monday hackerhameen.podbean.com Huckleberry how do the people find you over the course of the weekend well, as always, you can keep up with everything Brick Vickery across all social media platforms at The Real RBV. And we'll be back at it, uh, covering all this weekend's big action Monday in the locker room as presented by the Hobby Media. That's it for this week's show. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. I don't give up. You bad guy! Both can go stuck in doubt
the bad guy. Don't be so bad. 